Have you ever heard of uh, the causality dilemma? It goes like this. Which came first, the chicken or? That's, that's the causality dilemma. It's hard to say that, but it's easy to say. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Or which came first, the acorn or the tree? For years, philosophers didn't know how to answer this. Even the great mind of Aristotle was stumped. He said, if there's been a first man, he must have been born without a father or mother. And that's repugnant to nature. For there could not have been a first egg to give a beginning to birds, or there should have been a first bird which gave a beginning to eggs, for a bird comes from an egg, so no one really knows. Aristotle didn't know. One of the greatest minds didn't know. Evolutionary scientists know, though. They figured it out. They said, you know, the first egg-laying animals were dinosaurs, which evolved millions of years prior to the bird, so therefore the egg came before the chicken. Profound. But if you're biblical, if you're biblical, it's very clear. The answer is the chicken, and here's the reason why. For fully adult animals were created first with the capacity to lay eggs. In the Garden of Eden, trees came before the seed, and Adam was fully adult before Eve came, who carried the egg in her womb to birth the child. So the existence of the fully mature animal or human is what brings the ability to reproduce through the seed. Therefore, the chicken came first. Isn't that amazing? You're like, who, who cares? Because here's the next causality dilemma, and this is the biggie. What comes first, seeing or believing? What comes first, seeing or believing? We live in a world that would probably 10 times out of 10 say, I need to see before I believe. That's the... State of Missouri, the show me state. You got to show me or I'm not going to believe. We want results, polling data, scientific verifications, and then I'll take your word for it. But I'm going to propose today and actually argue for the exact opposite. I believe believing leads to seeing. So the title of the message is Believing is Seeing. And to prove my point, we're going to look at the same story we read and also the story of Zacchaeus. And I believe that we are going to see that a person first needs to believe for Jesus to then open eyes to see. So let's jump into it. Before we do, I want to read a, a statement Jesus made for the existence of why he came. Why did Jesus come to earth? Listen to what he says in John 9.39. For judgment I came into the world. So I came into the world to judge people. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What does he mean? What kind of blindness is he referring to? And how does he propose to bring sight to the blind? This is an issue of seeing and believing. And so that's what this story is all about. To begin the story, I want to begin in verse 31. We read this last week, but verse 31 and 30 to 34 is the gospel in really the form of an acorn shell. This is the message that brings eternal life into the soul. But watch what happens starting in verse 31. 
And talking to the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated. He'll be spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 says, that's the gospel by which we're saved. But watch what happens in verse 34. But they, the disciples, understood nothing that he said, or understood none of these things, because this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So in other words, when Jesus first gave them the gospel, they were blind to it. They didn't get it. They couldn't see. And so what he's going to do is he's going to give us a metaphor that happened in real life of a man who couldn't see and how he received sight. He's a blind man. The story is very simple. Blindness is very easy to understand. Here's a man outside of the city of Jericho sitting and begging. He had eyes, but they were inoperative. He could not see out of them. So for him, everything was black. It was dark. Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to, for the next 10 seconds, I would like you to close your eyes, just for the next 10 seconds, starting now. Close your eyes. Close your eyes for 10 seconds. Close your eyes. 10 seconds. Okay, open your eyes. Did anybody see what I did? TJ, your eyes were open. What was I doing, TJ? I was, I was being the karate kid. I did that. that. You know where he's on that pole? Did any of you guys see that? It's amazing. The reason you couldn't see is you were blind. That's the point. Very simple. Blindness is easily understood. So here's this man in utter, complete desperation probably had a little glass, clinkling coins, money for the poor, money for the poor, money for the poor. Have you ever noticed how harshly we treat people like this? We're quick to ignore them, distance ourselves. And sometimes we even, we even justify our callousness towards people like this by wondering, did they do something to deserve interesting in John 9 there was a blind man the disciples were walking with Jesus and they asked Jesus who sinned this guy or his parents and Jesus said neither but this happened meaning this blindness happened so the works of God might display be displayed in him and that's what's happening here in this passage Jesus is going to show in this guy's life how you receive spiritual sight blindness honestly in spiritual terms, means being alienated from the living God. Because we sin, and because Satan is a master deceiver, we are blind to God. We're blind to three things. We're blind to his goodness, we're blind to the beauty of his son, and we're blind to our own sin. We're blind. We're blind. What's uh, interesting, if you were to study all the different miracles, on a very personal basis, he, 
he heals more individual blind men that are accounted for in the Gospels than almost anything else. I mean, he heals lepers and illnesses and demons, but when he goes after people, he likes to use blindness as the metaphor of his healing. Actually, when John the Baptist, his cousin, was almost getting ready to die, and he was the precursor to the Messiah, he wondered if Jesus was the Messiah. So he sent somebody to ask Jesus, are you the one we've been waiting for? And Jesus says, well, what did you see, John? The blind received sight. That's the first thing he said. Because mankind is blind. John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's interesting, I always hear people wonder, how come all the other religions are allowed to have a place in the public square except for Jesus? Boy, we love Muslims, and we'll give everybody else the floor, but not Jesus. It's because people are blind. We shouldn't be shocked by it or mad about it. It's just people are blind. So let's look at this man for a second in this story. Let's just take a look at him. We're going to learn some things. Verse 35 says, As Jesus drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. So here's a man. First thing we can say about him, he is completely and utterly unable to help himself. Pretty obvious. He daily needs outside assistance even to survive. And this is how we are before Christ comes into our life. We cannot save ourselves. We just can't. We need outside, some people like to use the word alien, we need something outside of us to come to us to open our eyes. That's why Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on him whom they had not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In our story, the man started hearing. In fact, there's some great commotion. Look at verse 36. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth, he's passing by. This, I think, is what sparked the tiniest mustard seed of faith or hope in the heart of this man. He probably grew up in a Jewish home. And then as he's sitting on a roadside, I'm sure he heard all the stories of Jesus. Is this guy who can do miracles? Maybe he's the Messiah. And the word Messiah basically means anointed one. Or in the mind of a Jew, Messiah is the person who is the heir of King David. That's why he says, look in verse 38, and he cried out, Jesus Son of David. Why would he say son of David? Because in the mind of a Jew, David was the man that delivered them from all their enemies around them. He was the savior of Israel. And he was promised out of his loins would come a son, or maybe a grandson or a great-grandson that would deliver his people. That's why you have in Jeremiah 23, 5, it says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, so I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That means kind of like a family tree. Out of David's stump will come a righteous branch. He shall reign as king 
He will deal wisely. He will execute justice. Righteousness will come to the land, and in his days, Judah will be saved. So I'm sure this poor blind man longed for saving. Saving means deliverance. He was blind his whole life. So as the man chewed on these thoughts, hope sprung up his heart, and he probably cried out like the son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then look what happens. He says that, and in verse 39 says, And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. So here's this guy, this poor blind guy, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they're saying, shut up. You're not supposed to say shut up in church. That's what it says in the ESV. And Mike, shut up, man. He's one of those guys that drives you crazy. Just shut up. But the guy wanted, he wanted, he wanted mercy. So it says in verse 40, or 39, so they're telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David! Son of David, have mercy on me! And then the coolest part of this passage is verse 40. It's just three little words. So here this guy's crying, he's crying, and he's crying, have mercy on me! And it says, and Jesus stopped. Why is that so significant? Here's why. God is touched by a single, earnest plea. You can say it like this. Mercy is what moves the hand of God. It means, God, show me pity, be kind, help. It's the cry of faith. Have you ever prayed like that? I've been praying like that the last three. God, it's a mercy. And he stops. And he listens to me. And the beautiful thing about this is when you cry out in this expression of faith. All this is an expression of faith. This guy hears the name Jesus of Nazareth. He might be the son of David. He might be my deliverer. Jesus, you! Jesus stopped. So then it says in verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And could you imagine that guy? So I can, I can ask him anything. What do you want? I would just like to see. Can I just see? I think he was really hope. I mean, that would be the greatest hope he could ever have. I just want to see. You, you have some things like that. There are things that probably seem utterly impossible. But if they came true, your whole life would be changed. I just want my son back. I, I want my relationship back. I just Jesus, that's all I want. And so what does he say in verse 42? And Jesus says, recover your sight. Recover your sight. And probably the greatest theological statement in the fewest words is the next thing he says. We like huge, complex theological statements, but here it is in simple form. Your faith has made you well, or because you believed, now you see. Your faith has made you well. So, 
In other words, believing does come first. Salvation, gaining new life, always, always begins with a cry for mercy. Watch this, watch this verse. This is Romans 9, verse 16. Watch how simple it is. We make it so complex. So then it, it refers to salvation. So then it depends not on human will. NIV says man's desire. It doesn't depend on exertion, man's effort, doing works, doing things. You know what it depends on? God who has mercy. Salvation depends on God who has mercy. Dear God, save me. I, I want to take kind of a segue here. I want to get into, sometimes I think it's important to teach you theology. And I'm going to teach you a very important word. Some of you are going to say, that's one of those big religious words. It is, but it's not. You need to know this word. I believe if you know this word, if you know this word, it might just transfer you from earth to heaven like that. I remember the first time I learned this, it's powerful. The word is imputation. It's a big word, but don't be scared of it. Makes Jerry smile. Jerry, you like that word? Jerry likes that word. But here, let's work through this word imputation. Here's what it means. It means to transfer. A transfer. In theological us in theological realms it means a transfer of Christ's righteousness to me a sinner so you can look at it like this here's my little graph very very easy on one side you have Jesus Christ and his life everything in me the blind sinner so imputation is the transfer of his life to me and when I mean transfer I'm not talking about theoretical things I am talking about real life being given. Sort of like this. If I take a plug and I have a light and I plug it into a wall socket, there's electricity that's transferred and the light goes on. That electricity is real, even though I don't see it. And you're like, oh, I don't believe it's real. Stick a paper clip holding your finger into that. Yeah, it's real. That's what imputation is. It's real life. How do I transfer that reality? There's two sides. Believe it or not, Christian churches have been arguing this for millennial, well, millennium, and they divide on this because they offer two ways to, how do I get Jesus Christ's life to a poor blind sinner? There's what I would call side A. Side A is basically teaches by faith alone. We call this instantaneous imputation. Instantaneous imputation. In other words, I believe and I immediately receive that life. I believe and I immediately receive that life. Side B teaches progressive imputation, meaning... I believe, but i got to prove my belief by working it out. So my works collaborate with my faith to make me more righteous. So the idea is I do works. I do, and, and theologians kind of like to, they kind of like to make it complex. So they'll say, collaborative works of love add to your progressive imputation through the collaboration of the imputating of the love. Okay, so what they're basically saying 
is you do it. You believe, but you still do it. You do it. And then if you do it, then God will be provoked to give you more of his life. So the more you respond, the more he wants to give to you. So really, to a degree, you believe, but really you got to do it. Well, let's take a, who's right? That's the question, who's right? And so let's take the example of this blind man to see which one it, which one it confirms. So the blind man, starting in verse 43. So verse 42, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Verse 43. It says, and, what's the next word if you're reading the ESV? Immediately. Immediately means right now. So, and, when he had faith, he immediately, what immediately happened? Recovered his sight. Is that partial sight or full sight? When you can't see and all of a sudden you can see, that means you can see. So, he was immediately made well. It isn't partial. It's full. And so, if we apply this to our story of salvation instantaneous let's uh, even let's go a step further let's take this phrase because this is what Jesus said about this man and why he was saved God saves or delivers those who cry out in mercy so the man cried out in mercy and that cry out in mercy was an expression of his faith so God saves those who exercise faith so let's apply it. Let's change some words as if we're talking about the blind man. God gives sight to those who admit that they can't see. They cry out mercy because I can't see, so I just would like to see. So God gives sight to those who can't see when they cry out for mercy. Now, let's put a phrase that would, a progressive imputation person would believe. So they would say this, salvation is given to those who are doing works of love. So if I'm cooperating with faith by doing works of love, then I will be given salvation. But let's apply it to the blind man. Sight is given to those who are already seeing. Can, will, is Jesus giving sight to somebody who already can see? It's kind of silly. So when I'm told to do works of love, how can I do works of love until I receive love? I need to, I need to be given love to do works of love. Or you can do it like this. I, for that light to go on, it needs to shine in order to be plugged in. You've got to plug it in first and then shine. How do you plug in a human being? By faith. Alone. That's it. And then when they believe by faith alone, God's life is given to me, so now I can do these works. can ask it like this. How can a lost or condemned man collaborate with God in love before he has love to give? Romans 5.1 makes it very simple. Therefore, being justified, that means made right with God, being justified by faith, we have, we have, it's present tense ownership, we have peace with God by faith. We are given instant sight when we believe. That's called imputation. Now let's go to sight. What happens when you can see? When we say sight in the spiritual sense, 
It's the opposite of spiritual blindness. It's the person who can finally understand God and how sick their sin is and Satan's game. They get it, and they don't want any more of it. So spiritually speaking, I start to really see how sick sin is, how Satan no longer can lie to me, and how I want to finally live. Keep your finger in Luke 19 and go to Acts 26. Paul is going to share his conversion, and he's going to talk about why God gave him salvation and his purpose for Paul. That's Acts 26, 18. Paul writes, um, God is going to send Paul to the Gentiles. Why? Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from blindness to sight. That's the idea, from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, meaning being made holy by, by what? Faith in me. There's this old story. I don't know if it's legend or if it actually happened, but it's about Abraham Lincoln. It kind of illustrates what I'm trying to say. Abraham Lincoln went down to a slave block to buy back a slave girl. As she looked at the white man bidding on her, she figured he was another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. He won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you're free. She said, what does that mean? It means you're free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And a girl with tears streaming down her face said, then I will go with you. When you can see, you will want to go with nobody else but Jesus. I'm just telling you. You'll be so sick of the people you used to hang with and where you used to go. It'll, you just, you'll have new sight. When you have spiritual sight, you'll see Jesus in a whole new light. You'll want to go his way. So if we go back to Luke 19, we're going to learn the story of Zacchaeus who wanted to go his way. I'm not going to go deep into the story. I, I preached a sermon probably six years ago. You should still remember that story. So I don't want to backtrack on it. If you remember, I had a tree up here. Do you remember I had a tree? If you were here, I had a tree. I climbed the ladder. I told the Zacchaeus story. If you want to look in our archives in Kent City Baptist, you can look up the sermon. But I just want to go over it real quick and bring three, out three principles of when you finally see what happens. So here's the story. Jesus entered into Jericho. This is Luke 19.1. He was passing through again. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking. Watch how many times this alludes to the concept of seeing and sight. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So that means he's this little guy, 
standing in a tree of people. He couldn't see over them, so he couldn't. He's looking for Jesus, but he can't see. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, meaning he looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Ah, he's gone into the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. just want to bring out three things of a man when he's finally given sight. Number one, we, to begin with, can't see Jesus, but he sees us. Zacchaeus heard the stories, wanted to see him, but he was unable. And like us, life has a way of blinding us through either despair, depression, fear, anger, to take our attention off of Christ. We are so focused on our circumstances that we often don't see him. But he sees us. He sees where you're at. Sometimes you see. In your mind, I can never get to him. He's so far away, and I'm so weak. Like Zacchaeus, he sees you. One of the coolest verses is John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, you'll keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him. We will come to him and make our home with him. It's amazing. Second principle, Zacchaeus exercises active faith in, and I think verse 6 is probably one of the best definitions of what active faith really is. Listen to what it says, verse 6. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down, and here it is, received him joyfully. That's faith. Faith is a admixture of wanting, loving, desiring, and receiving, embracing. To me, the best idea of faith is it's the sort of hugging the truth that God is now in my life. And I do it with joy. It's not, oh, I've got to go to church again. Got to do those Ten Commandments. It's, I get to. I get to receive this? Yeah, that's faith. Your heart leaps. And then the third principle we really learn from this, and this is probably the most important to me, the truest sign that you have new sight, is repentance. You don't see necessarily outside, isn't necessarily the first thing you see. When you get real sight, the first thing you see is me. It's me. Zacchaeus said, I need to change. I will give half of my riches back. I defrauded anybody. I'm ready to change. I need to change. Forgive me. That is a person who has sight. When you start seeing yourself for who you are and want and need Christ to change you, to me, that's when your eyes are finally open. When you can keep doing your same sinful things callously and indifferently, you're not seeing the way I can tell somebody's really saved is they start getting sick of the mud they're wallowing in. It's interesting how he ends this. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why are people lost? Because they can't see where they're going. They're blind. And the question is, are you lost? And if you're lost, that means if you are not sure about where, where your faith is, it's probably because you can't see. You need to believe first. I'll finish with this little illustration. I will bet if I go into your house right now, every, most every one of you will have a rectangle mounted to your wall. Some of your rectangles are real thin. Some are a little bit thicker. Some of you might have one of those big rectangles that are real fat. And let's say I'm a time traveler from 100 years ago, and I walk into your house, I say, hey, what's that rectangle? It looks like glass on your wall. Oh, that's a television. What's a television? Oh, you don't know what a television is? You see this little clicker? I call it a remote. You press that button, and that television will show you events in vivid color of what's happening around the world instantly. No. Yes. Yes. You'll be able to see sports from across the country. You'll be able to see news as far away as Russia. I've seen a lot of that lately. You will see theater perform sometimes live. Sometimes you'll see theater that has been packaged with beautiful music. But all you got to do is press that button and you will see. I don't believe that. Come on. You want me to believe that that square will show me pictures, events. And all I have to do is press this button? Yeah. I don't believe it. You're just trying to make me look foolish. That's the silliest thing I ever heard. Why should I believe you? Because I've watched it 100,000 times in America. I see it every day. Sometimes it's on 24 hours a day at my house. I know that works. I know it. Oh, come on. You want me to believe you? Okay. All right. You don't have to believe me, but I'm telling you. No, I'll, I'll bet if I hit that button, it will zap me. That's what you want to zap me. Don't, no, just, all right, fine. You don't want to believe me. You don't have to believe me. But if you want to see that thing work, believe me and press that button. That's called faith. Why should I believe that a man rose from the dead? Why should I believe that? And why should I believe that if I believe this man rose from the dead, I'm going to live in eternity for Why should I believe that? Because some people, in the same way that I've seen that TV work thousands of times, there's some people in the Bible that actually saw this man rise from the dead. They actually saw him rise from the dead. Do you know why else you should believe it? Because I know so many people in here who have pressed that button of faith, and inside of them they see differently. They're brand new. They're, I talked to somebody last week. They said, you know what? Since I've been a Christian, things finally make sense to me. They make sense to me. Some of you are like, come on. You want me to believe that? If I believe I don't see anything happening, where's God? What's really interesting, if you think about it, if I take a remote control and I hit a TV, our TV takes about five seconds to boot up. Some of yours instantly, some a little bit longer. If you have an old tube, static, and it takes five hours to heat up. Remember those Tandy computers? You'd plug them in, and finally it would come on after you grow a beard. It'd take a little bit of time. But if you compare, if you compare eternity to your life, it's like the press of a button. 
like I, I was thinking about Tim. Tim died at the age of 54. 54 in the light of eternity is like a wink. It's that fast. The question is, do you believe this book, that this is true or not? Do you believe the people that who, I, I'm telling you, I could point out 10 people in here who are so different because they exercise faith. You just won't believe it. You just won't believe it. Have you ever exercised faith? Here's what I want you to do. We are going to sing a song. Jared, if you could come on up. We're going to sing a song, and I want you to listen to the first stanza. And as you, if you don't believe, just listen and digest the first stanza. If you have believed this, please sing this with all you got, because this song is exactly what this story of the blind person is all about. I'm going to pray, and then Jared will ask you to stand. Let's bow. Lord, we... We just ask you, Father, to um, give us understanding, give us spiritual sight. Father, I pray that because truthfully, if we really understood our condition, we, all, we need mercy. We need amazing mercy. We need mercy every single day because we are like the blind beggar. We can't do things on our own. We can't rescue ourselves. We get caught. We get caught in bad relationships. We get caught in bad financial decisions. We get caught in bad addictions. We get caught. We need your mercy. And I pray, Father, that you'd give light to the blind, sight to those who can't see. Help us to love your son. In your name we pray.